Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop streamed, your one stop for co-op news and playthroughs. And today, we are going to be doing a review of Trudevang Legends. I'm here with Mike. What's up, Mike? Good job uh, with that true Vang, man. I wasn't sure how you'd uh, how you'd survive with that. I mean, I- I'm true to my Vangs, <laughs> but now I'm good, Peter. Nice to see you. Yeah, yeah, good uh, seeing you as always. And just for those of you who are new, this is not only a live stream where we will happily field your questions if you have any, but it is also a podcast. So check out our One Stop Co-op Shop podcast as well, where you can get all these live feed streams and many, many more things. So, how you been, Mike? I uh, I I got to see you last week, which is always good. Yeah, I mean, I was I was stayed up way too late last night grading papers, but I got to have a nap before the podcast, just so I'd be a little bit fresh. So I'm still pretty tired, but I'm uh, at least awake. School's been a little stressful, combined with, of course, everything else in life. But I'm here. Games are still good, so uh, it's all right. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I feel like we're on a string of good games. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about great games, but certainly good games. I mean, starting with Oathsworn, and then last week with Hoplomachus, and now mm-hmm. Trudvang Legends. We'll see if it can hold up to those other two. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like at least there's there's a plethora of stuff coming out anyway, and stuff that that is interesting and not. Uh, it, it felt like there was a little bit of a dead period there through the summer. So uh, I'm happy we're getting some new stuff out now. Yeah, and also uh, some of the crowdfunding games we've been covering recently are pretty cool, too. Tainted Grail, Kings of Ruin, by the time the podcast publishes... Oh, wait, no, I already published that. Never mind, the video's already up, so you can watch it right now. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that one impressed me. Uh, they made a lot of changes that made the game way less grindy, which was my only like big problem with it, so I'm very happy with that. So how long's Mission 1 now? It's similar to the original. Okay, um, but you just can't fail bigger. like 12 hours in? Is that That's the difference? I mean, no, it's it's so much better in like every way, dude. And something you'd like a lot better, at least in the two chapters I've played. So in the original Tainted Grail, after chapter one, it kind of like opened out. Some might say too much and you can like go left, you can go right. And you weren't like quite sure what you were doing. You were just kind of like searching around. Right. Um, sort, of, sort of like Seventh Continent-ish. Uh, at least so far for this one, chapter two like takes you to a new map. It's a fairly limited map. And, like, even though you still have things to explore, your goal is pretty clear. So it seems like, for better or worse, it's going to appeal to people more or less. It seems like they've kind of made it uh, not necessarily more linear, but more uh, directed, I guess I would say. Like, you know what you're doing in a more, like, specific way, and and you never have to watch, like, too super far (laughs) to figure out what's going. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very happy with it. Well, it's funny because I was obviously thinking Seventh Continent. I, I, and now I'm I'm on the right trail because that first mission was 13 hours for Seventh Continent, not for Tainted Grail. Tainted Grail, actually, the first mission was pretty snappy. And they oh, kept yeah, yeah. each mission pretty snappy. Mission, quote unquote, pretty snappy in that game. Um, it, Yeah, you just strung them together and some of them took a little bit longer than others. But no, I, I for some reason, Seventh Continent went in my head because I knew you said they were fixing that one as well. You've played Seven Citadel. You played the demo, the same one that I did. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's interesting to see like a trend for both of those games, and maybe some other games too. That like when they do the follow up, they maybe are getting like a little bit less giant sandboxy, which some people again won't like as much. But I, I'm usually not a big fan of like giant kind of aimless sandboxes. 
Yeah. Um, video games, I don't mind it as much, but for board games, I feel like my time is more precious and it also makes it way tougher to play at co-op if you're just kind of wandering around with nothing happening. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the changes in both of those, I think. Yeah, well, and Trudvang Legends, I mean, we're, we're not quite into it yet, but follows in the same kind of, at least I got the same sense of it, grand-scale adventure It definitely is more mission-by-mission based, so you're not on this giant map where you're going around, but you still are a party of adventurers going on overland adventures. You still really want to stick the party together, but they let you separate it if you want. They still have skill tests. They still have combat tests. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about it at the end, but I kind of feel like this falls, for me anyway, in a similar vein, just not as grandiose. More like what you were talking about with Tainted Grail, I guess, where the new Tainted Grail, where it's very individualized missions. Yeah, I mean, the big difference for me is the sense of exploration. And sorry, I, I know we're not, we're not supposed to be in the d- review yet, but Treadvang Legends doesn't really have like almost any exploration. You, you know the exact spots you can go to to make something happen. And usually you know why you're going there to make that thing happen. Sure. Whereas like Tainted Grail and Seventh Continent, Seventh Citadel, all of those very much are like, go find out what's in the map and explore this world. And you don't know, you know, like you might have an idea of what you're trying to do, but you don't know exactly where it is or like what you're going to find around the corner. And that, that's not a, that's not a knock. Yeah, that's going to appeal well, yeah. or not again. I but, mean, discover. Yeah. it depends what you think of Discover Lands Unknown, too, because that is also a yeah. very limited exploration. You know, maybe even a, a halfway point between these where you're going to have the same tiles each game, but you're going to explore them in a, in a different order or whatever. But uh, we're not into the design discussion yet. Uh, we're not into the review yet. Uh, we're just we're just opening banter here, and uh, we're already getting into it, Mike. We're fired up about uh, discussing stuff tonight. Apparently, yeah. Uh, so before we get any deeper, let me thank some of our amazing supporters on Patreon. We have our, our own Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. And uh, yeah, we have uh, early access to our videos from the main channel. Clearly, I can't do early access to the stream because it's live. <laughs> that'd be a little, that'd be magical. Uh, just some time travel for our patrons. Uh, but also I do uh, at least two uh, unique and, or not unique, exclusive videos every month on the Patreon so at this point, uh, if you sign up for Patreon, you get like 10 to 20 free videos that you could never see otherwise up there immediately. But uh, yeah, we want to thank our patrons, uh, Claude Malk, Karsten Spiller, Andrew D., Mark Davis, and Clement Hussart. Uh, Claude, Karsten, Andrew, Mark, and Clement. Uh, Would you go up to five? So for your support. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we've been getting a lot, <laughs> we've been getting a lot of uh, Patreon supporters, and uh, I think we don't usually name them only every other week now. Yeah, because not all our podcast episodes have them. So I figure I can do five for a while. All right, but, uh, yeah. Didn't we start at two? <laughs> we started two, then went to yeah. three. Now we're up to five. Uh, now this isn't all the patrons. Just so you all know, there are hundreds of them. So I guess we're just trying to cycle, you know, quicker so we can get back to everybody. Which, hey, I mean, these are our supporters. These are our bread and butter. We were just talking about beforehand. My uh, webcam's going out, so I'm definitely going to need to buy a new one of those. So by the way, if I freeze up halfway through, it wouldn't surprise me because it's frozen like three times while we're trying to set it up already. So uh, yeah, so expect that fun. Yeah, I mean, really, the patrons help a ton. They help us, like Peter said, pay for equipment. Pay for, we have to pay for streaming. We have to pay for the music we use. We have a lot of like monthly fees and stuff. Pay for games we're buying. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, so we really appreciate it. But if uh, Patreon is not in your budget right now, you can also leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also subscribe to the streaming channel or the non-streaming channel. 
You can like uh, the videos, more people see them, you know, lots of ways to get involved, jump on our discord and come say hi. Uh, but yes, we still very much appreciate our patrons and <laughs> that's enough of that. <laughs> yes. And you know, we even, you know, have cool, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I, I don't know. What, what do we have, Peter? We I don't know. Cool we have a, like cool people. I was going to say in our community that it's just it, the discord is, and that's totally free. That has nothing to do with Patreon. Like, I don't know. There's always something going on in there. I feel like when I miss a day, like I've missed a whole conversation or two potentially, which oh, yeah. is fine. I mean, if you have FOMO, maybe it's not the best place to join, but uh, <laughs> there's always new conversations getting started uh, and uh, lots of new stuff that comes through there as well. So, I mean, you can always, uh, you can always mute the, uh, the crowdfunding channel in the discord. So you don't have to get as much FOMO <laughs> from it. Just not hear about all those games. Yes. All right. Well, let's get into Trude Bang Legends, shall we? Or do you have anything else you wanted to discuss first? I think I already mentioned two weeks ago that I played Resident Evil 3 like once. Yep. Just to get into like some other games we've been playing. I've been playing it more uh, solo and with my son. Dang, I love that game. Now, All right. <laughs> my review is going to be interesting when I do one in a few weeks because I'm such a huge Resident Evil video game fan. And I've been like replaying. Well, I've been playing the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes, which came out a few years back. They kind of like update the old games and add a lot of stuff or take out some stuff in some cases. So I'm certainly like in a Resident Evil mindset, and it's hard to say exactly how good the game would be without that. But I'm really enjoying it. Like it's tense, it's fun. Like uh, hoarding your ammo, deciding when you want to shoot that shotgun blast or fire assault rifle. I don't know. It, it's 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 just a really good time, and my son's really enjoying it too. Uh, he wants all the nice weapons. Like I got an awesome new handgun. He's like, that's mine. So I had to trade it to him. <laughs> I got a assault rifle. That's mine. You know, I was like, all right, dude. <laughs> so, he's, he's, he's gonna be like, like a gunzerker. He's like Rambo, First Blood Part 2. He's got like all the weapons, explosive, uh, like bow on his back. And I'm like walking around with a knife. <laughs> nice. Crying. nice. Uh, that also like but Rambo. Yeah. That, that works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, or Crocodile Dundee. That's not a knife. Now that's a knife. Yeah, but he, he never <laughs> cried. He didn't really have emotions. Paul Hogan. He just kind of smiled wistfully as he, you know, outsmarted the bad guys. Yes. Yeah, no, I haven't really been playing anything, honestly. Oh, no, that's not true. I played a non-co-op game again. This this seems to be a trend of my plays, but I actually played two games of this. I played Feast for Odin with both my son and my daughter. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it is a game with solo, so I'll talk about that in a minute. But they both loved it. And it's the kind of game, there are six rounds to the game in the short game, seven in the long game. It's not that much different. But each round is pretty condensed to like a 10 or 15 minute time period. So mm-hmm. we'd, we'd, you know, sit down for one. Sometimes they'd want to play a second or even a third round back to back to back. For Nick, we definitely did three and three. For Allie, we did like one and then we did two. She's like, wow, this game's really fast. And, you know, because you're only doing these short little spurts, it does feel really fast rather than sitting down and trying to squeeze it all in at once. Uh, That's really smart. Yeah, I've not tried. I'm not sure if I've played like any Euros with my oldest yet. He's about to turn 10. I mean, you don't play Euros with us. Why would you play with him? I mean, well, and also (laughs) I I pretty much only play, well, I was going to say I only play cooperative games with him, but then we play Exceed and beat each other up. (laughs) But that's a very like uh, straightforward form. Actually, I I mean, I played Small World. I guess it's not a Euro either. What am I talking about? All right. Well, yeah, no, that's really cool, man. I'm glad you're you're getting into some heavier games with your kids. And yeah, the the idea to like play just a, a quick like little bit of it with them and then move away so they don't kind of have a chance to get bored or tired or like kind of frustrated with the game experience. And like, they kind of always have the fun feeling fresh. I think that's a great way to do things. 
Yeah, and if you don't know Feast for Odin, it is a polyomino game where you're like putting these Tetra-shaped pieces onto a board and trying to cover up your board. And they have a really neat puzzle where like you're you're leveling up the polyomino pieces from orange to red to green to blue, and they have to fit differently on your board. Like green can't be next to other green. Orange and red can't even be on your main board, but there are other boards they can be on. And then the polyominoes were different on different boards as you like explore different lands and things. So there's interesting puzzles like on each of your boards. And there's like, if you look at this game originally, it's overwhelming. And when I explain the game, I, I try, I definitely don't go into all the spaces, but I explain a little bit about what one or two of the spaces do. And then the rest become obvious because the iconography is really good for the game, but it is overwhelming, especially if you play at higher player counts. They do something really smart at lower player counts. So I do think that's probably the best way to learn or teach the game is to play it at two players because with the expansion only, and I, I don't even think I'd play the main game anymore. The expansion makes it that much better. With the expansion, the number of spaces that you have, so it's worker placement and it's polyomino. So the number of spaces you have to put workers on is much less with the expansion board than with the main board. And it's much less with lower player count than it is. So as you go higher in player count, they open up more spaces. Now they're all very similar, but it's still more and more overwhelming to look at the higher player count you have. So that's one of the other tricks I got for teaching, you know, younger kids. I mean, my kids are 11 and 14. They're not younger, younger, but it definitely helps in the learning process. So this game does have solo as well. I've played it on the streaming channel. The way it works is you take two different colors and you block yourself out. So whatever actions you did last time, you cannot do the next time, but then you clear all the, like if you took black and yellow as your two colors, you put black down in your first round, then you put your yellow people down, and then you take all your black meeples off the board and add a few more and you add those to the board. And so you're really blocking yourself more than anything. Now, the only negative with this is there's no random elements to that. There are random elements to like these occupation cards you get, which change scoring up a little bit. But my biggest problem with the solo game is a couple things. Number one, it's a beat your score. And I can't remember. They might have thresholds that they want you to beat, but it's really just get a highest score as you can. And the second one is there's not a whole lot of reasons to play it more than two or three times because it really doesn't change that much from game to game. So it's a good way to teach yourself how to play potentially, but I don't think it would, it's not the preferred way to play it. So Feast for Odin, I think is a great competitive game. Not so much for uh, the solo version of it. Yeah, I really liked uh, the competitive as well. Although uh, you you taught it to me with the expansion, and I have only played it with the expansion, and I would not like having more options opened up. That's not what I needed that game. <laughs> well, and and they're just not as balanced either. They they definitely did things with the expansion boards to balance out some of those actions, make some of the better ones more expensive, make some of the not so good ones cheaper to do and, uh, or, or just boost some of the actions as well. So they definitely did a lot with that expansion. So uh, unfortunately it's a pretty hefty buy-in because you got to buy not only the base game, but the expansion as well. And it's not a small yeah. game. All right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, that, that, that's our little mini uh, Feast for Odin uh, review. But let's get to Treadbag Legends. <laughs> yes. So let me start with the theme. And I'm going to read this right off the board game geek description. It says the game is based on a Swedish RPG. Treadbag Chronicles thrust players into a cycle of epic sagas in which their achievements change not only the world itself, but the very rules by which gods, peoples, and yes, it says peoples, and nature interact. 
they will quest through the interwoven series of adventure books, and the results of their choices will echo throughout history, changing the relationships between sovereign nations, uprising kings, and creating new way gates, or even locking and unlocking parts of the map. So what does that mean as far as gameplay goes, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, th- that's an interesting description. I hadn't heard that before. I, I-, I can see what they mean by all those things. It, it sounds... It sounds more epic than it is in the game for most of them. <laughs> well, and I cover some of that in, in my five points. So maybe yeah, no, we'll I do well. save some of it for that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so mechanically, you uh, have all your heroes on a board. It is like mostly an unchanging map board. So like we were saying earlier, this isn't like a game of exploration, like where you're uncovering things. That being said, you do sometimes go to like kind of a side temporary board in a location and stuff. But you're moving around. There are enemies on the board. If you move into a space with an enemy, you can fight them. You can move away later, but you take automatic damage. Uh, Combat has a push-your-luck bag-drawing mechanic uh, combined with cards unique to your character. So you're drawing these tokens and putting them on the cards to activate abilities. But if you draw too many, bad things will happen. And besides that, you're just kind of walking around and having story-based encounters where you open up a little storybook and read what it says and often make choices. They're branching like kind of... uh, elements to the quest but yeah it's pretty much just combat and the branching stories there are skill tests but they're pretty few and far between and they use the exact same combat bag in a slightly different way so it's a pretty straightforward game mechanically in a lot of ways but uh i mean i will say in in a very uninteresting way when when you're doing the uh i don't know if that's part of your review or not that's not part of mine but when you're doing uh tests you literally draw seven chits out of your bag, and it's like, did you get the chits you need or not? There's no redraw mechanism. There's literally no nothing. And a lot of times it's like, you need three successes. And there's like 15 or 20 chits in your bag, and like you might have three of that one color. So you're literally hoping to draw all of them on your one draw. And then half the time, people are like, nope, dead in the water. I can't even draw three because I only have one or two of that type of shit. So, um, yeah, uh, th- th- that could be my number six because it didn't quite make my list, but that would be a full on con. I think the skill tests are pretty terrible. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there you go. But, uh, a bonus uh, number six for both of us. So, yeah, uh, and, and not, and not good. Not, not a good number six, but uh, we have, we have some positive things to say, I'm sure. Let's uh, get into it. If you haven't listened before or seen, uh, the YouTube reviews before, we're going to each talk about five things that stood out to the game, uh, about the game to us. Um, no disclaimer for this one. We didn't get a review copy or anything. I do think we should say that that uh, Peter and I were playing in the same group. Uh, usually yes. for these kind of games, we try to take turns with the game, but we were all like really excited to play this. Our friend Jerry's the one who bought it. So yeah, j- j- just kind of keep in mind that there is maybe more potential for groupthink here than there would be in some of our other reviews. So if P- I don't know if Peter and I are going to say the same stuff, but if we kind of say similar things, you know, it's entirely possible that a different group might have a different experience. I just think that's worth saying for this game. Yeah, and honestly, because you revealed more to me than I think I've revealed to you about my thoughts about the game. After the first game, I was on very different place than you. I think, not our first game, our first night of games, because we played multiple games per night every time we played this. After And and the other thing I guess we should disclaim is that we did not finish the game. Disclaim? I don't know if that's a word. I just made it. I made it work. (laughs) No, disclaim's a word. You're good. (laughs) Uh, We did not finish the game. So this is really more of an initial impressions. If we end up playing more, we might give you um, more of a thought. Now, we did get pretty far into the campaign. It's not. Yeah, I was going to say, I wouldn't call it initial impressions. We've seen all, basically all the mechanics the game has to offer and but yes, we have not finished the campaign. We don't know the full story, that kind of thing, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the mechanics are 
I mean, you're pretty much repeating a lot of this stuff from mission to mission. So, I mean, unless something like, you know, there's a pandemic pandemic legacy type like curveball thrown at you late in the campaign, we've pretty much seen what the game has to offer. I mean, for there's the most no part. hidden boxes that I saw to unlock. So, <laughs> yes, yes. All right. All right. But uh, let's jump in. You mind if I go first, Peter? Go for it. All right, so my number five, uh, full-on pro, and this is uh, something that was really called out heavily in like the little blurb that Peter read for Treadbang Legends. Uh, this is the kind of world evolution. So they actually have like sleeves on the board and then this little sideboard that kind of like walks you through the steps of a turn and also keeps track of like extra abilities you have access to and locations and that kind of stuff. You're actually sleeving these cards in there, sometimes even covering up like spaces like a location can be destroyed or you can unlock like a new friend there because of one thing you did. And I I like this for a few reasons. First of all, mechanically, it's kind of interesting to kind of have the uh, board change and locations gain new abilities and like some places be safer or less safe. I think that's cool. I think thematically it's neat that the choices you make and it is really the choices you make. Like we saw branching things where we would never have had this ally here. We would never have had that like option over there. So I I think like the thematic and mechanical tie-in of the board kind of growing with these cards and slotting them in is really cool. The slotting works pretty well. It's a little bit hairy to get the cards back out. I know on like BGG people have talked about uh, putting in like another sleeve inside the sleeve and then you put the (laughs) card in that like I don't know some sort of magic and that works pretty well Uh, but besides that I thought it was pretty neat now I will say it's my number five because a lot of the times they aren't as impactful as I would like like yes it's cool that that ability is over there but how often am I going to actually use that in each quest maybe once maybe zero times so that's why it's my number five and not higher on the list but it is still a pro I think it is still a neat it reminds me a bit of uh what was that game with like this horrifying art that a lot of people don't like Dungeon Degenerates. Like Dungeon Degenerates had a bit of like kind of growth, not not as much permanence, but like things would change and locations would get more dangerous. This gave me a similar kind of feel to that. Yeah, no, I could definitely. Um, yeah, I'll talk about that in a little bit. My number five is the player scaling, and it's a little bit mixed for mm-hmm. me. So the way it works is in two player games, and I'm not even sure is it two player games or is it two people at that location. I think it's just two player games. Period. Right. You're adding this like little bonus chip. So usually there'll be like two monsters well, it's, in, no it's, it's so it's not in two player games it's like three player games you add one four player games you add two right so but it doesn't matter how many people are actually at the location so you can split Correct. the party in this so it doesn't matter if you're in a four player game you're gonna get this little bonus chip in an area so it works kind of well it actually works better than i thought it would the way it works is i say bonus chip but it's bonus bad guys is really what it is it's you put the number of plastic models in whatever territory you move into and then usually it's two in a location and in the two-player game you don't add anything else but in a three-player game you have this little token that has an exclamation mark on it and in a four-player game it you flip that token over and it has two exclamation marks and that just means there's two extra enemies or one extra enemy there so it's really a lot of times going to be one enemy per player but then sometimes you'll go into a place and fight a really bad bad guy and not the bosses because the bosses work differently they level life per player but sometimes there'll be a really big guy in that area but it still scales the same way so you're still adding that extra token in there so that they're going to have either one or two extra big guys with them so i was a little worried because i'm like well wait a minute what if there's four guys normally now you're only adding two more that's kind of weird and if you have one you're still adding two more so it does create easier and harder moments with different player counts But it actually kind of all evens out to work out pretty well, in my opinion. For something that's not that complicated to do, it's a pretty easy 
add-on, it's it's not confusing. You always kind of know what's going on. I never missed the fact that there were extra enemies there. And they use other things as well to add extra enemies to the groups as well. And mm-hmm. that just kind of combos with it pretty easily. So I actually thought the way they scaled the game was pretty interesting. I don't think it's 100% perfect. I definitely think there's you know moments where it's going to be worse for you or better for you, depending on your player count. But I actually think it works pretty well for a simple solution for how they scale it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. This didn't make it on my list. The The other side, and I don't mean to call it a con, I think it's worth knowing. Personally, I think that you can't really split the party in this one in a positive way. Like, if you want to go off and explore yourself, the game punishes you in numerous ways for doing so. So you draw these event cards any turn that you don't have a fight. They tend to be more negative than positive. So splitting up the party means you're drawing double or triple the event cards. And like Peter said, you know, a lot of games with uh, multiplayer, they'll spawn more enemies, which this game also does, but those enemies will be divided up around the board. So it's not like you have to fight more in an individual space if you split up the party. But here they, uh, they add all the enemies into the same space. So if I like split up in a four player game and go off and do something by myself, I'm still fighting that four player amount of enemies and it's going to be pretty much impossible to win that fight. So Again, it's got it's not like a negative or positive. There are lots of games like, you know, role player adventure is a recent one that force you to just all be in the same group. And here, at least they give you the option to not be. But I would say it's not really the option that it pretends to be. <laughs> and I think you pretty much have to stay together as one group to really have the best experience and the most consistent like difficulty. Sure. All right. What's your right, number uh, four? Yeah, uh, this was interesting because when I first started playing pro and then play a little more mix. And now it's a con. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that is leveling up. Leveling up. Uh, which is, uh, this is not great. Now, it's my number four because there are other things that kind of stand out more in this game. But uh, there are a few ways you level up. So, first of all, within a given quest, within a given scenario, you can add tokens to your bag. That's, like, the main way. So, you can make it more likely you'll get certain combos. Sometimes you even get negative tokens added. You also get, like, these little uh, tokens added to your track that make uh, busting with the... Uh, draw the bag uh, drawing push your luck mechanic that we'll get into more i'm sure both of us so like there, there's like a little bit of like sort of feeling of leveling as you play but then uh, whenever you get three experience which is us fighting enemies you get to upgrade your deck permanently by making like stronger versions of your cards like you had like quick attack one now you have quick attack two it does a bit more damage and then you also can get items that go to this little item stack and you can use them by paying these chronicle points but whenever you use one it goes to the back of the stack so uh, why did this end up being a con for me? The more I played, the more I felt like, first of all, the leveling is weird. Um, the game gives lots of situations where you can grind if you really want to and basically level your character up infinitely all the way to the highest level, which uh, is just a weird balance choice. Now, we didn't do that. We thought that'd be stupid, but it exists and it bothered me a little bit. But besides that, um, I very quickly found that the card upgrades were usually like just one point higher than the previous card. Yeah. And sometimes it was one point higher, but they required like another token. So it was more expensive and didn't even feel like an upgrade at all. So the upgrading very quickly didn't become that exciting for me with the cards. Like they didn't seem that different than what I had before. And the items, I I find this a somewhat baffling choice. Like I know it's simple, but the fact that you only have one item at a time and then it goes to the back when you use it, it means that the more cool items you get, the less control you have over when you can use your cool items and the less <laughs> yes. consistently you can use them. And I, I respect that they didn't want to let you abuse a single item or like you'd only use one M all the time. I like the fact that they, well, no, you, you, using you can items. do that. You just don't add the new items to your deck. If you have a well, very sure. good yes. item. <laughs> 
Okay, that, that, that's a good point. But yeah, so I, I see what they were going for, but I think it didn't work out well. I think it makes getting new items actually feel like a chore or a punishment sometimes, which is not what you want in your adventure game. So yeah, uh, eventually the leveling became a negative for me, and I just don't think it's as cool as it seems at first, unfortunately. Yeah, well, my number four was, uh, you already talked a lot about it, was that the party has to move together. And really, like it's it like Seventh Continent, like uh, Tainted Grail, I feel like a lot of these adventure games, they give you like individual miniatures for all your characters, but it doesn't really matter because you're all going to move together anyway. You can just have one miniature on the board and it doesn't matter. You do get punished, as Mike said, for the events. If you're in different locations, you draw a event per location or you do the story if you're in that location, but it doesn't scale based on how many players are at that location. So yeah, for me, it was a bit of a mix. I didn't mind it because I thought the party should move together. But at the same time, it's like, why do we have our own miniatures? Like, except for it's Simon, right? Like, oh, yeah. for, for no other reason. Like, you could have just had a party token and had everybody move together. And then you wouldn't even need rules for all that stuff. Which, not that the rules are that hard or complicated or whatever. But I'm going to give you a bonus one because Mike kind of covered that. And that's death penalty. Um, I didn't include this in my... Well, I don't know if you're going to talk about That's my it. next point, man. You're going uh, to spoil my next point. All right. Well, you go ahead and talk about the death penalty then because there's not one. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, there is, there is, and I, I even went and saw how what what happens with it, uh, just so nobody else has to. Um, <laughs> by the way, I will say uh, I disagree with Peter slightly. Seventh Continent and Tainted Grail can sometimes be a little punishing to split up, but they do allow it in a meaningful way, and sometimes that is actually the best option depending on what's going on. Sure, uh, I do not think that is the case here. I think this one actively punishes you for splitting up and like does not even make that really an option. But yeah, so death penalty. This is another full-on con. That's two in a row. Sorry, Treadbang Legends. Yeah, like Peter said, there is... <laughs> so there's both not a death penalty and there's also like the stupidest death penalty. So to, to break this down, this is not really spoilers. Like the first time that you uh, die, you're going to see this. So when you die, you add these uh, weird cards, W-Y-R-D, to your deck. And they're actually not that bad. I, I appreciate this. They like have a penalty. Like they, they're kind of a penalty because they're in your deck clogging it up, but they actually like reward you if you do something. So they're not that bad. But if uh, the players do not get rid of their weird card before the scenario ends, then bad things happen. You kind of like advance on this sort of death track. Like you keep on getting advancing cards that get worse and worse. But besides that, nothing happens when you die except that you miss your current combat turn. You literally come back for the next combat turn. And sometimes you can even like game the system and have a character who's already died be the one who takes all the hits because nothing else is going to happen besides them missing their like attacks for those turns. Well, and, if you have then, fast attacks, you don't even lose that because yep, yep. fast attacks go before the enemy attacks you. So and, and there's not even a, a force. There's, there's nothing that forces the enemies to attack different people. So you could literally yep. just have that one person who died take all the combat damage in well, the next if round. If they die, they have to stop taking combat damage until the next turn when they come well, back to life and can die again. Sure. <laughs> but yes. And yeah, so uh, if, if you don't want any spoilers for the game, you might want to jump forward a minute just because I'm going to spoil something a little bit. But if you're still here, or sorry, if you're live, I guess just stop listening for a second. <laughs> but yeah, so, so they keep on adding these uh, worst darkness cards as you die. But what they do is they make a well, one that's, type of that's not true, though. Hold on. Let, let's clarify that. Because you don't get those darkness cards as you well, die. Yeah, sorry, sorry, no, I already said that. If, if, if you don't clear the weird card. If you, sorry, don't, if you clear, don't clear it. Yeah, weird. if you clear yes. the one weird card that the one character who died gets, 
then yeah. you don't get the darkness doesn't progress. Well, but that, that's beside the point. So the point I'm trying to make is as you get these darkness cards that you might think are like leading to something, all they do is make one enemy type tougher and tougher and make your heroes a little bit nerfed eventually. That's like the end state of it. It doesn't like have like some kind of narrative consequence that's interesting. So they have a potentially grindy situation where you keep on dying, but you can never lose a fight until you eventually win it. And then they kind of, in my opinion, increase the grind by making it more likely you will lose fights in the future because you've added more negative tokens to the enemies. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a pretty big misstep. Now I will say I like fail forward. I like not having to repeat a quest. So you know it's okay with me that like they kind of did it that way, but they did it in like the least interesting way possible. It's not like Arkham or something uh, where Arkham LCG. I mean where like your choices actually kind of play forward in an interesting way. Instead, like Peter said, there basically is no death penalty except the potential for more grinding in the combat, which is not the kind of death penalty I want. You can like never like lose <laughs> the quest. You just keep on going. Well, actually you can lose a quest. We found one where you can lose if you, uh, if you mess up the skill test and then they messed up some of the quest lines because the editing is not great here. That was like point number seven or eight. <laughs> so there are like dead quest lines, but anyway, uh, I'm not trying to pile on. I do have some positives coming. I do. I, I promise. Well, but, uh, and, and the one easy quick fix, and I don't know why they didn't put this in, is that after you die, if you die again, you get another one of those cards. Because there are four of those cards in the game. And so they could have made it so you could get multiple of those cards. Because you, you really, you only have an eight card deck and you're drawing four cards per combat. Now there are ways to draw extra cards during combat, but really does slow down you getting the cards you actually want that are your cards. And so they could have made the death penalty just get more of these bad cards. And if you ever can't draw one, then you fail the mission or you just do whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I I mean, every game has a loss condition, I would think, except for maybe this one doesn't have a loss condition. I don't remember now. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have a loss condition. That's interesting. Was, I didn't even think about that till this very moment. But yeah, I mean, I guess this would introduce a loss condition, but at least there would be some kind of penalty because right now you still would only have to clear that one thing regardless of how many. And then so if they made it so you, uh, but I guess you could just grind, as you said, and just get into more fights and grind them all out of your deck anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, there, there, there are issues. <laughs> well, just, just with that part of it for me, like, like there wasn't, it was just a weird death penalty, I guess. I guess they're just trying to progress a story, but that, that, that part was weird to me. All right. Yeah. But that wasn't even one of my five points. What is one of my five points is my number three is the board building, which Mike already talked about it. Um, you are adding cards to different locations. And I do, this is a little bit of a pro and a con for me. I think it was a, a full on pro for you. And I'll yes. tell you the, the con part f for me, but the cool parts of it f is that you do get different locations around the board. You do get different storylines, different quests that get added to the sideboard. The only real negative for me is that like, if you have a second card to add to a location, they're like, ah, just put it on the sideboard. And now yeah. you have to like, remember that I have two cards in this one location. I wish they would have come up with something more clever than that. Like there's no real way to know if one of those sideboard cards, I mean, it tells you what location it corresponds to in this little tiny bar that at the very top of the thing, like if you like, you know, have a magnifying glass across the table or if you're like close enough to it, it's fine. But like, yeah, there's, there's nothing tying that sideboard to the main board. I mean, for quests and stuff, they do a good job. If it's like quest A, they have an A token. You put it on the, a location on the map. But anyway, for the most part, I like how this progression happens. I like how the board changes and progresses based on the story itself. I think it's legacy without being legacy, right? You don't have to yeah. rip anything up. It's not anything that you have to 
you know, remember from time to time. It's just a very clever way of doing it. You're not putting stickers on the board, anything else. Even the death penalty, as Mike was talking about, you just replace the old card with a new card, right? And the death penalty gets worse. So they have ways of introducing rules and stuff here. And even at the beginning, like there are six phases to the game, but you only have three of them when you first play. And then they're just more cards that you add to this row of your actions and it progresses that way. So I really like how they made it modular. Yeah, I mean, beside the fact that you don't always know what's going on, I think it's it's mostly a pro for me. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like, it would have been as simple as just having a token you place on locations at the beginning of the game that have a side card, and that way you, like, are aware on the board when you should look at the sideboard and, like, see another ability unlocked. So, yeah, no, that, that's a good point. That That is a fair con. All right, uh, my number two is uh, the story and the world building, and this is a mix for me. So uh, pros first. I think the story is told in quick little bites. They tend to be like pretty quick little passages, except for, like I said, the editing is a little bit iffy. There are like grammatical mistakes pretty commonly, but this game had a pretty, <laughs> a pretty messy uh, development cycle. Like I think they yeah. designed one game and then kind of redesigned an entirely another game. So not too surprising that things got uh, <laughs> lost in the shuffle. But yeah, the story I think is pretty good. Um, it's a little bit cliche, but I still found it like kind of interesting. Uh, The part that is like really big pro for me is I like how they introduce characters and then bring them back to an extent, especially in the side quests. And there are like even some choices you can make. That was not a ton of this. There's not like a billion quests in the box, but I thought that was pretty cool. I thought uh, the world building and kind of like the setting they were creating, sort of this like tangential thing to Norse mythology and stuff was pretty neat. On the negative side, on the world building, they like sometimes just throw terms and names at you without really explaining what they are. And I know there's like a Trudvang uh, RPG that came out a little bit before the board game. So I'm sure if you're into that, everything makes total sense. But for me, I was like, what the heck are you even talking about? <laughs> and like, there's like sometimes no pictures, nothing like to describe what it is. So that's a little bit distracting. Well, and it's and then, generic to some degree without being generic. Because instead of orcs, they're called arcs, right? Literally an A instead of an O. It's like, I guess that's an orc. But, but I don't think they're orcs. I think they're like people based on like eventually we got sort of a description of them and like we had a miniature that was kind of them and I was like, I don't think those are orcs. So I don't know. Right. And then, yeah. So the other negatives are like I already said, the editing isn't great. And also like it's a little bit confusing sometimes. So you have like splitting of campaigns, but they don't really like sometimes clarify whether you can do both of them. Like you'll be able to do both splits and like repeat stuff. So there are some weird things in here, but generally I thought the the like writing was pretty fun the world building was pretty cool and like I was engaged by kind of exploring the campaign and seeing what happened next and like how these side quests and things played out. So yeah, just a mix for me. Well, and I guess it, I, I didn't mention this anywhere else, but there was also one little bit problematic thing. I mean, as far as the oh, description gosh. of the one character, like I know not everybody cares about this stuff, but they they were very insensitive, at least at, at this, at the very least at this one point, very insensitive with the description of one of these characters. And it wasn't even the description. It was the naming of the character that was like just ridiculous out of control. So, yeah. Like, well, like we were laughing about it, but yeah, it was, it was pretty poor taste. Yes. Uh, but basically uh, I, I would say without like spoilers, they were kind of like mocking disabilities to an extent. Yes. Yeah, not like in the most extreme like way, but it wasn't great. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, Peter, what's your number two, though? So my number two is the fast leveling, which you talked about earlier, and it was more of a con for you than it was for me. Um, I, I stuck with enjoying it. I love games that let you level up pretty quickly. Now, mm. 
The only negative I had with it is that even without grinding, we leveled through most of our deck pretty quickly in the campaign. So it just leaves it so that it almost leveled too fast. And the fact that it didn't put any kind of a cap on it, the only cap is if you do side missions, you don't get leveling kind of, but you kind of do because they give you experience at the end of those side quests as well. But the way it works is every time you defeat a group of monsters, you get an experience. And once you have three experience, then you can level up and you take... Oh, God, let me interrupt for a second, Peter. When we were talking about player count and how you shouldn't spill up, I forgot to totally say, if one player beats a group of monsters, that player gets an experience. If all three or four players beat the same group of monsters, they all get an experience. Yeah. So, like, literally, if you don't stay together, you are <laughs> dividing your experience massively and leveling up much more slowly. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Not to belabor that point. Go ahead. But the way it works is you've got eight cards in your deck, and there's always eight cards in your deck. So we like this, at least I do, and I, I'm pretty sure you do too, where you're not getting more cards in your deck, but you're leveling up the cards that are in your deck. And like Mike said, you go from like healing one to healing two, or death below one to death below two, or whatever else. And then there's a legendary version as well. So you shuffle those level two cards at the beginning of the game, and then you draw the top three of them. You take one of them, you put, you exchange it out with the one in your deck. That is the level one version of it. Then you take one of them, put them on top of your deck. The other one you put on the bottom of your deck. That's great, except there's only eight cards in there. And so pretty quickly, you like keep seeing the same ones again because you're like, well, I didn't want to level that up before, but I guess I got to now. Which of these not as good options for me do I want to level up? And it's not as obvious as all that. Sometimes it's very much, it, it depends on your flavor, what you want to do with your character. Now, the pro for that, uh, I really thought, I love the leveling, I loved how fast it was, but the character was the character, right? Some of these games give you options, you go down a path, and then you can't go down a different path. That wasn't the case here. You're really going to get all your upgrades eventually, and you have these legendary upgrades as well that you'll get after you get all of your basic upgrades, but it didn't feel like my, I forget what it was, Death Hunter or whatever they were called, it wasn't what it's called, by the way. It wasn't any different than anybody else's Death Hunter or whatever they're called, right? Your thief, and I mean, a lot of them were like generically named too. I had a cooler named one, which I can't even remember at this point, but there was like a thief and a ranger or whatever else. It felt like like eventually everybody's thief and ranger was going to be the same. And so I do like games where even if things are going to be the same, there's enough differentiation. And like you said, you're only getting one or two more points of damage, things like that. But for the most part, liked it. I like how fast you were leveling. I just wish there was some kind of a cap on it because it felt like you could level up way faster than maybe they intended, which might make later missions way easier than they intended as well. Even though those, it's only one or two points of damage, sometimes that one or two points of damage is what ends up killing that enemy. Yeah, and I should specify that the the classes are nicely different. Like the kind of yes. things they do and the combos they use, th- those do tend to vary quite a bit. So even though, like Peter said, a ranger is going to level up like a ranger and still be very much a ranger by the end and the same ranger as everybody else's ranger, it, it does feel different to play like a different character. Like the combat does. Well, I, <laughs> just the combat plays out differently. Nothing else feels different, but well, that yes. part is nice. Oh, the well, skill I guess test, I should man. Say, <laughs> yeah, the skill tests, and then also uh, some of the like they'll, they'll often have story beats that'll be like if you have a fighter, you can do this option, or if you have a rogue, you must do this option. So they they do like bring in the classes a bit more than than that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, I guess my number one is your number one, Peter. Uh, yep. Mine is the combat. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is uh, besides reading the story, that is like the majority of what you're actually doing in the game. And I said this is mostly a pro for me. Like I, I didn't quite go down to a mix. I think it's a pro. 
So, like I said, like uh, during the mechanical overview, um, you'll have four cards out of your eight in each round of combat. They will have, like, this card will need a fire token and a water token. And you draw three tokens from your bag at a time, and you place them on these cards. And once a card has all its tokens filled, that means during, like, the combat round where things actually happen, you'll get to activate that card. But if you only partially fill a card, nothing happens. But then if you can't place a token, or if you get one of these uh, skull tokens that can't go anywhere, those go on this little track that can hold five tokens. If you only get up to three tokens, you get to benefit from all of your blue abilities. Like these little tokens go on there that you will get benefits from. If you stop at four, you get nothing. If you stop at five tokens, you can't draw anymore and you have to suffer all the red abilities. So like direct bonus for not pushing your luck too far, direct penalty for pushing your luck too much. You can also flip your character card to redraw. And overall, I just think this is like a full, cool mechanical thing. Um, the negatives that almost made it a mix are that it does get kind of samey. I would, you know, generally use the exact same cards in the exact same way each time. And the fact that the levels, like I said earlier, the cards don't get different. They just get higher numbers. Made it even more samey, like combat after combat. But that didn't change the fact, coming from someone who is a big Push Your Luck uh, fan and likes things like Quacks of Quedlinburg and that kind of thing, it was consistently fun to draw tokens and groan or decide if I want to go on. Like, th that was just a fun mechanic. Uh, deciding where the tokens go on the cards, activating your abilities, getting like little combos to kill people. Even after, you know, five scenarios and really like combat kind of playing at the same time and being the thing that you'd spend the majority of the game doing, I still had a lot of fun with it. So I think that really speaks to how, how cool the core mechanic of the push your luck and the little like blue and red abilities and when you activate them, how well that works. Even though there's a lot of sameness in there, it's still the thing that stood out the most of the game about me and I'm still calling it a pro. Yeah, and for me, I think I'm even more positive on it than you are. I do agree that you tend to use the same things, but it's such a random, you know, crapshoot what you're pulling out of that bag that you'd like to use the same abilities and the same combos, but it doesn't always work out that way. And, you know, there, there's three parts of the combat round, but it's really simple. There's fast attacks that go before the enemy, there's the enemy attack, and then there's your abilities that go afterward. Um, but the choices were, yeah, I thought they were interesting. Not only where do you put the tokens, because a lot of the tokens aren't just like you put a green token here, you put a blue token here. It's like this one will take a red token or a gray token. Which one do you want to do there? Um, so sometimes you'll draw and you'll have a different mix of cards. I think this is a really, really cool combat system that I want them to do more with. And I wanted yeah. more from it. Like That's my only con for this is... I wanted my I wanted to be able to customize my bag so that I took out some of the 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 tokens I didn't want and again not within one game. This is how the leveling could have been better in my opinion for for the longer term. And then I would have wanted certain skills, right? I get a ranger skill, maybe I don't replace healing 1 with healing 2. I could replace any of my cards with healing 2. So now I'm building my bag to be much more of a healing type character and now I'm taking out the red tokens so those aren't hurting me as much and I'm adding in more green tokens which are like the ones I can use for my healing cards or whatever else. So I think there was some opportunity missed there where you could customize your deck more. And again, I don't, that way you don't even have to have the same eight cards, right? It doesn't have to be healing one, healing two, death blow one, death blow two. It could be healing one becomes whatever you want. Maybe you got healing wave now where everybody heals one instead of whatever. It would have made the cards more different. It would have made the leveling of the characters more different. It would have made the bag building more different and interesting if they did it correctly. So I do think it was a missed opportunity even though it's fun to do. So I would say the mechanics of the 
uh, that combat bag building system are super fun. I do think it's a huge missed opportunity though to, cause you don't even keep your leveling. Like if you get another yeah. red token in your bag, you don't even keep it from mission to mission. Like I feel like you level up your cards and that stays from mission to mission. But I feel like there was a better way to level up your bag, to level up your cards, to level up everything else where it could make the characters feel more differentiated as the campaign went on. And I think you could have cooler and cooler abilities and not just an upgrade in numbers as it went on. So that's literally my only negative. But even with all that said, it's super fun to do that, yeah. that bag drawing. I mean, there's only one situation where I'd already flipped my character over, so I couldn't redraw. And I literally drew all five of my black tokens in the second round. So I had one token to, to put on something and like all five negative tokens. So I filled up my board. I literally couldn't do anything. And I had negative consequences that round. But even that, because it was so fast, didn't bother me that much. Like, all right. And hey, if you die, nothing really happens. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's problematic. But (laughs) yes. Yes. So, Mike, final thoughts. Yeah. um, This one's interesting because I was super excited about it. Maybe two scenarios in, but now like five or six in, I'd be fine maybe not playing it anymore. I hate to say. There are enough baffling decisions here or at least like things that I think are flawed that it's tough to argue for this game over. There are just so many (laughs) campaign adventure games. And I think many of them are better than this one in a lot of ways. I do love that combat. And like you said, and and, and, uh, uh, this is only the core game. Like they have, I think there's a second wave of more stuff coming once it's finished. Maybe they'll offer like another eight alternate cards for each class and you can switch them out. But what you can play of the game right now, <laughs> like yeah. what's actually existing right now, doesn't have any of that. And and it does get pretty repetitive. Yeah, like the story is pretty cool, but I don't think it's enough to like keep me going. The combat is really fun, but that's all you do in the game. And again, it's not really changing. Like I'm doing the exact same thing. Uh, the leveling, uh, we have already reached like a major part in the level and it's not going to get that much better. Like the legendary cards are coming, but again, they aren't like that different than the other cards. So I don't know. It, it, it's tough. I'd, I'd rather play role-player adventures. I'd rather play the new Tainted Grail stuff. Now, so these are also very expensive games that are hard to find. So I'd rather play Seventh Continent, personally. I'd rather play, like, Arkham Horror or Eldritch Horror. There are a lot of, like, adventure games. I'd rather play uh, Journeys in Middle-Earth. <laughs> there are a lot of things that I would rather play over this. I think this, uh, and, and it, I think it makes sense with the very harried development of the game. I think that they had to redesign almost the whole thing, and what they came up with uh, isn't quite cohesive i think there's a lot of parts that just kind of fall flat for me at least i'm a little more positive than you but i can't agree or i can't disagree with your overall conclusion right like i really enjoyed the combat i had a lot of fun with that i wish they did something more with it we've already covered all this and i do enjoy playing it i wouldn't mind playing more i know you said you wouldn't care if we didn't play again i wouldn't care either if we don't play again but I, I also wouldn't care if we did decide. Like, if you guys wanted to keep going with the campaign, yeah. I would happily keep going with the campaign. And if I, I, I'm there too, I should say, like, especially since Jerry's the owner of the game, if he's like, "Hey, let's do Treadvang again," I wouldn't complain at all. I'd, I'd be there. Like, I'd be ready to play. Yeah, but I I can't disagree that there are other games I'd rather play. Like, yeah, like and, I'd rather play two we just got recently, Stars of Icarus and Oathsworn. Yeah, much rather play either of those. <laughs> and and it's funny because you say adventure games, and those aren't necessarily like I describe, especially uh, Oathsworn more as a boss battler. And I was thinking that yeah. I was like, I can't really, you know, compare it with Oathsworn. But if the fun part of this game is the combat, then and that's the fun part of Oathsworn, 
then yeah, because for both of the games, I'd happily skip the story. Like I, I don't need like as much story as they put in the time and effort for either of the games. Like for me, the combat is what makes both of them shine. And if you compare those two, like Osworn is, you know, way, way more varied and way better. Mm-hmm. Although I do like this system. So I want to see this system with the bag drawing system, with the placing your tokens. I mean, it almost felt like Orleans in a weird way where you're yeah. like drawing tokens out of a bag and putting them on these spots. Now there's a little bit more of a push your luck element to it, but I like the way they did it. And I really would love to see this combat system more fully fleshed out in, in a yeah. future game. But this game is fine. I mean, if you bought it, you're not going to be sad about it. You're going to play it and you're going to enjoy your plays of it. But if the the choice is, do I buy this or do I buy Osworn? I'm going to tell you to buy Osworn every time. Do I buy this or do I buy, yeah, even like you said, um, Journeys in Middle Earth. I, I, you know, but play that one over this one personally. Um, I think it's a little closer than uh, Osworn. But yeah, I mean, if you bought it, you won't be sad you bought it. I, I think you yeah, will enjoy it. Like, it's just to share a quick story with that, Colin kickstarted it and it, you know, took forever because again, they had like redesigned the game and everything. Uh, so he was like, hey, I think I'm just going to sell this. And I was like, no, no, definitely play it. Like, I think you'll enjoy it. And he's been having fun. He did a playthrough on the main channel already. So, yeah, like, I, if you if you kickstart it, I think it's totally worth opening and busting it out. And I think you're going to have a good time. Are you going to have a good time for 20-plus scenarios in a row? I don't know. Some people on our Discord are loving, loving it and really getting into it. But I also think they're probably not as critical with like mechanical missteps as we are. So well, sure. Uh, they're, maybe they're a bit more forgiving of that kind of thing. Well, and that's what you get when you come here, right? I mean, we are design we are designers that are reviewing games. I mean, if you've ever been in a playtest session, you know nobody's more critical than designers. So and Jeremy Howard says that all the time about us too. He's like, I love the game. I know Peter and Mike probably won't like it because there's like, you know, 20 design mistakes, but I don't care. I have fun playing it. And I, I think you will get there with this one too. I think there's a lot to like about it. Honestly. I, I like the combat here better than I like it in Journeys of Middle-Earth. I like a lot of the other stuff surrounding Journeys of Middle-Earth better, but, I mean, the combat's great here. Like I said, they yes. just need to vary it so it didn't get repetitive. But beside that, I, I thought it was awesome. But that yeah, kind I, mean, of- I, I can see, like, like, put this mechanic in, like, a dungeon crawler, put this mechanic in a head-to-head skirmish game, put this mechanic in, like, I, I would love to see this, like, push your luck combined with cards and, like, placement spots. I think it's a really clever system, and I would love to see people like run with it in other ways. Oh, and um, if other people and, don't, we will. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly. Sure. And, and I like the cards on the board. Like I felt, you know, they don't need to be on the board. I know that was like a weird production thing, and I don't, I don't care about that as much. But like, I think that's fun. Like, I, there is a lot of good stuff here. It's just there's also some really rough spots as well. You know what I mean? But if you're in it for the story and don't care about no death penalty yeah. and don't care about keep going and don't care about the fact that it gets same after a while and you just want to progress through the story and have a fun combat time, I think you will have that here. No question about it. For sure. It. Definitely. Uh, but let's talk about uh, – so last week we started a design discussion where we were talking about variety and how to create variety in your game. And actually uh, we – I guess a little bit knew we were doing True Bang this week, but like we didn't realize that it was – how relevant it would be to the discussion we've already had but at the end we kind of left with a thought of variety versus complexity and i say last week but really for you all it would have been two weeks ago so it would have been our hoplomachus victorum uh, episode so if you want to hear the beginning of this design discussion we started there but this will be its own standalone thing so we wanted to talk about not just variety here but how do you increase variety in a game 
without increasing complexity, or if you do increase complexity, where do you draw that line and how do you decide what's too much? And so do you have a favorite spot here? Do you like, all right, I'm going to, I want variety so badly. I don't care how complex the game gets. Or is there a cutoff point for you where you're like, you know what? I only want this level of complexity. So I'm only going to do only willing to make this many changes to, to add variety so I don't get to a game state where it's too complex. Well, I'm going to kind of approach it first from like the player side, because that's my favorite type of uh, variety, like having different heroes and that kind of stuff. Yep. And I think my favorite that can edge over the complexity like <laughs> line and maybe get a little too complex, but usually it's pretty good, is when they limit themselves to one thing that is pretty unique for the character. If it's sensitive to the multiverse, they often have like literally a unique keyword or a unique mechanic. If it's Spirit Island, again, depending on the spirit, like some of them have like a unique thing they do, like the ocean, like kind of eats people if they go into the ocean. But usually, besides maybe that one thing, the rest kind of plays by the rules. I I like that. To go a little bit further, something like Root is still great, but it definitely has more like overhead, you know, or, uh, or Cloud Spire. Like, you're getting great variety in the factions, but especially for competitive, not as much for solo, but for competitive, like, to kind of help somebody understand the complexities of each side can make teaching that first-time player a bit of a beast. Now, I, I love those games, so I'm not really saying don't do it, but I do appreciate the games like Sentinels, like Spirit Island, where I feel like until you get to maybe, like, the most complex spirits in Spirit Island... You can basically throw it down, but it feels unique. Like, Trudvang did a decent job of making the classes feel different. I wouldn't say they felt unique. I would have liked something kind of more special. Like, especially uh, comparing Jerry's character and my character. Yeah. Like, he had a few things that gave him bonuses with exhausting, and I had a few more defensive cards. But basically, besides that, we were doing pretty much the exact same thing. So well, like, right. that you were both ranged characters who exactly. attacked before the enemy, who had defensive abilities. Now, I was very different from the two of you. Yes, yes. So, so I think yours, like, you had healing, which none of us had at all. And you had, like, ways to mitigate enemy abilities. So, and, and I'm also fine with that, I should say. I think it's okay to, and actually, I think this is an ideal way to do things. Give modular options or choice options of complexity. Rate the complexity. <laughs> Yes, I won't please. say uh, which games do this, but please tell us which heroes are most and least complex. Like uh, Bullet does that. Sentinels does that. And even if you're wrong, you, as long as you're close, right? As long as your most complex character isn't rated as an easy character. But yeah, Spirit Island does it as well. That's another yeah. game I've been playing recently. I forgot to, to mention because I'm going to start doing a series of uh, Spirit Island. But yeah, no, I think Spirit Island does it very well. And they're right. They're complex Spirits are very complex a lot of times. And, you know, the easy. And I mean, I don't want to just harp about Spirit Island being awesome, but it's awesome. But also, they have very clear complexities and difficulty levels for the adversaries you can face, the different nations. Yep. And the levels within those. And you can play without them entirely. So, yeah, I think. I think modularity is the key because when you give the players the power to increase the complexity as needed or to add in elements as needed or to take on a more complex character or more complex character or enemy when they're ready, I think that's great because that gives them the power to tailor the experience. I can scale it back or give you an easier character when I'm teaching you the game. I think all of that is that, that that's where my like sweet spot is. So um, I do have a negative though about Spirit Island and, and we'll cause I, I do think it's uh, relates to this discussion. 
In Spirit Island, there's no real way to increase difficulty without increasing complexity. Yeah. And for me, the the place that that game falls down, and I love the game, trust me. Like I'm like I said, I'm about to start a series on it, is I tend to win the game pretty regularly, but that's only because I'm scared to go up on difficulty because the complexity gets too much for me where I just lose track of what's going on. And maybe I'd even make mistakes like putting out the enemies, whatever else. Like the the complexity gets to the point where I want to increase difficulty, but I don't want to do it by increasing complexity. And I think there's other ways you can do it. Like, I mean, even if they just did setup changes or whatever else, something where it happens at the beginning and then you don't have to worry about it. Or I don't know. In that game, they do... You know, only if they have the flag do you have to worry about some of their abilities or whatever. But sometimes it's like whenever you add an enemy to the board, if there's this many enemies, do this or that or the other thing. It's just like, whoa, slow down here. I just want to yeah. make the game harder. I don't want to make it more complex. So yeah, that- you're right. It's like, and it's it's building abilities. You'll have to maybe keep track of like three different things for an adversary when you get to like the higher levels. So right. It, no, so it's a not. It, it, I mean, almost you want there to be a situation like Trudebang, which we complained about, where it's like. Instead of doing two damage, you take three damage, right? It doesn't change the ability. It just does a little bit more. You know, yeah. sometimes that's not bad when it is when, when you hit a certain level of complexity. And for me, that's where Spirit Island falls down. I almost feel like I have to play with the easier spirits. So my complexity yeah. is not as hard because I'm dealing with the complexity of the enemy. Well, and you can have the best of both worlds. I'm thinking of Marvel Champions. It's not like 100% perfect how they do it, but I like it. You've got different adversaries you can go against. That already adds in different difficulty levels. Although, do, do they say who is more or less difficult in anything in Marvel Champions? Yes. Well, yes and no. Okay. Um, I mean, it's, like, do they it's say the like that uh, Rhino is X and Ultron is Y? And like, there, there's not a number, but it's clearly okay. like. The first one's always the easiest. Like, so it's mostly comes out in campaign boxes. The sure, first sure, ones sure. are always the easiest ones, and the later ones are always the hardest ones. Now, they do sell individual villains, and they don't really put them in their spots. And in that one, there's another level of complexity slash difficulty, right. which is these modular encounter sets that you shuffle in. And some of those they rate, and some of them they don't, which is kind of even right? more weird. Like, you know, when the hood came out, he came out with these, like, nine different modular encounters. But like, and, and they were rated, but then the other ones from earlier aren't rated anywhere. So like, sometimes they're rated and sometimes they're not. Yeah, Marvel Champions is kind of weird with how they, and they have multiple designers too. So like, if one person thought it was a three, somebody else might think right. it's a four or whatever else, because they alternate who designs each thing. So no, they don't. But, but really- so, so all that being said, there, there are yeah. flaws, but I do appreciate that. They have the modular element. I can play against a different villain and I can slot in a different uh, encounter set or whatever it's called, change up how that villain plays a little bit. But also I can just go on elite mode. Or, and didn't they add like an even harder elite mode or something? In the yeah, they have Red heroic where you draw extra cards. So every round you usually draw one bad card. They have heroic one, which you draw a second card. Every player draws a second bad card. And they actually did that with Keyforge Adventures too. It's like, Normal difficulties, you draw two of these cards, and more difficult, you draw three, or you could draw one um, to change complexity. It works better and worse depending um, on the setting. Yeah, on the setting, and and, uh, 
and Sentinels of the Multiverse does this too. So like you have the different villains with their own difficulty settings, but then each villain has like a harder mode. And sometimes those harder modes do add a little bit of complexity, but usually it's not much. So I, I think that's an ideal way to do it from like the enemy side. Um, have both, like Peter said, a maybe simpler way to just be like, it is one harder now. <laughs> right. Every enemy does one more damage. But at the same time, like it's cool if you can work in the like sort of more modular variety in what scenario you play or what boss you're fighting, you know, it depends on the game type, of course. Um, so most of what we've <laughs> talked about recently has been difficulty versus complexity variety. I agree with you though, getting back to your earlier point, I like when the variety is in the player character. I mean, certainly some of my favorite games, the bosses play very differently as well. I just think you have to be careful. And I think you, the games you brought up earlier, Sentinels with having one key word per hero, I think is is where the key is for that. Because yeah. the big problem with the other games you were talking about is every character has like five key words or whatever. And even if you could increase difficulty or complexity slowly, like Gloomhaven should do this really well. It, I don't know that it does per se, but like you start off with like nine cards and then you add one card every mission or every other mission. I think there's a way to slowly introduce difficulty, but it, it does still have or complexity. But the problem is if you put a game down, we found this with Pandemic Legacy, right? You put a game down for six months. Now you come back in and you're coming in at level five for difficult complexity as well. So I do still think there are problems with that also where you're introducing well, that, that, that's a that's pretty much a campaign specific problem right i mean yeah. for non-campaign games you shouldn't usually have that so, something else i want to mention as well that i think is important kind of for designers to think about is often a lot of the stuff we're talking about with uh greater variety combined with complexity and more modularity in a way it comes down to more design time more development time more stress testing and play testing and more components a heavier game a more expensive game you know what i mean like, we were like, hey, sure. Trudvang Legend, I got bored with my character. Why didn't you give me twice as many cards? But then they got to design twice as many cards for every single character. They have to print twice as many cards for every single character. They have to ship twice as many cards for every single character. So um, one part of me is like, yeah, give me everything. But then that's where we get, I think, like some of the bloated Kickstarters where there's like a billion expansions. And, you know, something like, uh, I know, Peter, you got the, the stretch goals box for Marvel uh, United X-Men. Like there's a ton of stuff in there and a lot of variety, but also it doesn't feel like every single person is as unique or as well tested as I would like, you know what I sure. mean? So I think there's a lot of flaws depending on how you choose to do your variety. And I appreciate something that keeps it pretty low key and simple. An example for me being uh, bullets. I know it's one of my favorites and I talk about it a lot, but I think they do a really excellent job with just literally eight cards for a boss and the backside of a player board. And they've got like a unique feeling boss, you know, so they've got eight in each. I don't know. You buy a, like what is a 35 or $40 core and you've got eight heroes and eight unique bosses. Like that's, that's pretty cool and pretty good value wise, but that's a game without miniatures. It's a well, game and they, they a lot also of play very different, but the goal of the game is always the same. And maybe well, yeah, that's, that's part of it too. Like the goal of the game there is always to clear chips and to knock them to somebody else. So you're, yeah. No matter how you do that, and every character feels different because they do it differently, but their goal is still always the same. And I think that's where something like Root gives people more issues because not every, I mean, yes, everybody's goal is to get a certain amount of victory points or whatever, but it, it, they don't get them the same way. Like, 
I do think, for me anyway, Marvel Champions does as well. Your goals are to kill the enemy and stop the threat from accumulating too yeah. much. They play a lot within that system, but the complexity never gets too much because they stick within that core framework. The goals are basically always the same. Sometimes they change it up a little bit. And, you know, those are the ones that feel the most unique, the most cool. But it's only because after you've played it enough times, that's never like the first villain or the first whatever you're going against. I think you can play with it more as you get more into expansions. So I do think maybe part of this is core set versus expansions too. Yeah. Like the more somebody has bought into your game, the more expansions they go in. And this doesn't count for Kickstarter, right? Because Kickstarter sell you 10 expansions the first time you buy the game. And I don't... Well, and that- I, think that's, I think that's one of the one of the worst things about kick well no that's not true but it's a bad thing about kickstarter for me yeah in that first of all you get expansion overload right away but also they don't and, and this is a tough thing these days cuz the games don't get the public's attention long enough usually unless they're big hits but you don't have that development cycle you know what i mean like you yeah. can see the fantasy flight lcg team for lord of the rings and marvel and arkham like trying out new things and responding to player feedback and fixing things and improving them and making them cooler. You miss the majority of that process when you are forced to design eight expansions for a game. Well, somebody just has to to do that, right? Like they literally said, Hey, we want this game with three expansions. It's like, wait, what? Like, no. <laughs> like, and, and, and where is the net? Like, do you build the expansions as like the medium, the medium more complex, the even more complex? Do you build them narratively? Like, ideally, I think you're right. And, and, you know, this is not a game I love, but Steve talks about it a lot. And I, I think it does this well. Like Marvel Legendary has been going for years and they like introduced like one new keyword or two new keywords per expansion. So like you naturally have variety and complexity and you can like modularly use different expansions to get different levels of complexity as they release expansions. But again, that's a very successful game. Most games can't hope to get that kind of cycle. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. I guess bottom line for me is try to make the goals the same. If you want to increase variety, do it in the player characters. Don't overdo it, but try to make your goals be the same or similar And maybe not make it, and again, Spirit Island, a game I love, but the problem is every spirit is so different from each other, and then every nation is so different from each other, and then the complexity just ramps and ramps and ramps. So I I would say that, I guess, is another thing for me. Don't necessarily tie difficulty into complexity either, because I think that becomes an issue as well when you want something more difficult that's not more complex. Yeah, and that kind of gets into asymmetry. This was the final point I wanted to make. I think it's interesting to compare something like uh, you were Merchant's Cove, Peter, that we yep. played that one time. I think it's a really solid Euro, but it is interesting that because the sides are very asymmetric and they kind of do their own unique thing on their board and it's already a competitive game where like maybe you care more about what you're doing than what other players are doing. I was generally totally disconnected from what the other players were doing because I didn't even understand it. You know what I mean? Like, so I think you do kind of increase some... Um, separation between players and and i've seen this in spirit island to an extent too especially when like i'm learning a new spirit like i'm just kind of like doing my thing and trying to figure out my own little puzzle which can be fine at least spirit island is simultaneous so you're not like wasting time when you're doing it but i think you do have that uh potential concern or problem if you like go like that really specifically asymmetric route like peter was saying it's not like you all do the exact same thing in the same way even if you have like differences it's like you are literally playing like a different game or having like completely different mechanics that's cool. I appreciate when it's done well, but I think it does have its uh, 
drawbacks in terms of complexity and like kind of interaction between players. Ironically, Merchant's Cove didn't bother me because again, we all had the same goal. Yes, so and I, you were you were doing the market the same and the boats the same. So no, no, I, I think you're right. I, like I think the, it's a good game. I'm not trying the, to criticize. The interaction points in that game were similar. What how you got to the interaction points were different. And for me, yes. that level of complexity. But I, I mean, I guess to some degree, it might mean that maybe it was not the same experience that you had with the game, and maybe it bothered you more than it did me. So this might be an individual thing as well, just like with a lot of this stuff. So what's too complex for somebody, what's too fiddly for somebody is exactly what somebody else wants. So I guess we're saying you shouldn't, like, look, if everybody designed games the exact same, it's going to be a problem. But we're talking about for the type of games that we like and how we like to do things, I think there does get to be a point where it's too much. And a lot of new designers, when they're trying to fix problems, just add more and add more complexity. And I think it can be a crutch, but it can be a bad crutch. And I think it's something where you really have to decide, is this increase in variety worth the amount of complexity that I'm adding to the game? And is there, and maybe even limit yourself saying, look, I'm going to not add complexity here. I'd like to add variety without complexity. How can I do it within the system I've already created? And I think, you know, those limitations for yourself will create a better game at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed. And yeah, like Peter said, feel free to comment on the uh, streamed video if you uh, watched it or uh, let us know how things are in the podcast. You can send us an email, onestopcoopshop at gmail.com. You can join our Discord and pop in and say hi. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Trudvang or uh, Complexity versus uh, Variety as well. But uh, thanks, Peter. Thanks for organizing everything. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey Mike. Yeah. I'm a little complex, but I'm not very I'm not very varied. So I don't know how that works. <laughs> I should probably work on my variety if I'm gonna be so complex. I mean this all depends on what context you're talking about, dude. This could get a little bit weird. <laughs> like I'm all over the place. <laughs>